My name is Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here. So if you're visiting with us, welcome. Please let us know that you're here. And as you open up the book of Acts, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible sometimes in the pew or in the chair underneath there for you. But as you think about that, why do you do good things? Why? Does it make you feel good? Is it some sort of sense of duty? Is it because it's just something that you should do? You could go through the whole list, right? Is it the fuzzy feeling you get deep down in your heart when you do something good with somebody, for somebody? Or is it just because you want to do it? And at the beginning of chapter 3, we see the outcome of what has come after waiting. The Holy Spirit empowering the disciples to do the great wonders that we see at the end of chapter 2. And we remember uh, and we continue to look and see how the Holy Spirit works within his church. And as we look at the book of Acts, remember those three things that we need to keep in the back of our minds. What is the message about Jesus? What is the mission about Jesus? And what means are used to accomplish that mission? When we look at the book of Acts, actions moves to an explanation of what God is doing. It uses, it's used as a means for the message of Jesus and its importance. Acts aren't separate from words as we look through this book. Words and deed come together. So even though we are walking through the first 10 verses of chapter 3, we can't neglect to make sure that it's known that it is also connected to the following verses, which we will get at when we, get, uh, when we look at uh, that next week. But if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts chapter 3, and we'll be reading from 1 to 10 together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of, of prayer the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance to come and gather together to praise you. And Lord, I pray and I hope that we have made much of you, that not only our words and our deeds, but also our hearts would seek to make much of you, that we would decrease and that you would increase as we seek to make much of you. And Lord, there's no way that I could do this on my own, but I do desire for you to be glorified during this time as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name 
joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses 1 to 7, we see the act of God's sovereignty, sovereign grace. Here we see Peter and John as we continue to go through this narrative of the early church. This is a continuation of what Pastor Matt preached about last week as we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and what it looks like when the Holy Spirit fills and indwells the people. This is the outcome of what it means to have people who are devoted to the Word of God, and as the Holy Spirit changes their lives. This eventually actually happens in the normal daily life of the apostles, As they walked to the temple, they would walk to the temple three times a day to pray, if you were in the area, just to pray. And Peter and John were aware of the hope that Israel had that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So for them, going to the temple was an even more important aspect than just being uh, pious in their actions. They wanted to go there to also have an opportunity to declare that the long-awaited Messiah had come. The one who was promised from the very beginning of sin entering the world and humanity through through the actions of one man named Adam. That Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. That he would be the one who who, who had our iniquities placed on him so that we may have life. Peter and John knew the hope that was in Jesus Christ. And their new task was to be a witness to their fellow Israelites of that hope so that they could be spared from the judgment that would come by rejecting the Savior, who is the Messiah. So they go to the temple. They go to the temple to be with other people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We saw that last week in Acts 2. And they go there to also share that hope with other people. And as they go and they're walking up to the temple... They would have walked to this beautiful gate, as the text says, and to just have an understanding of the beauty of this, a historian named Josephus would have pictured this as made out of Corinthian bronze, which was more precious than gold and silver. So this wasn't some little dinky little gate. This was a magnificent gate, a beautiful gate. And as they entered into that temple, there was this man who was there every day who had to be carried there, a man who was lame from birth, as verse 2 says. This is an important detail, so don't just let it just go and slide. A miracle of something being made new, a new creation would be be needed to happen here. This wasn't a man who, I don't know, suddenly broke his back when he was older or just lost the ability to walk at some point. This was a man who was born with the inability to walk. It's important. So what do we learn about this man? First, he had a long-standing congenital condition. We see in verse four, uh, chapter 4 of 22, we see that he was over 40 years old. Second, he couldn't move himself. He had to be moved there by friends or whoever had pity upon him. And there's a desperate need that will be met that will bring wonder not only to him but to everybody else. Even those who brought him daily to that gate to beg for alms. So in verse 3 we see... He sees Peter and John walking up to this gate to do their task of praying and being with the church. And when the man saw Peter and John walking into the temple, he asked them to, for the same thing, he probably asked a thousand other people that day. 
We got to need spare change. You know, if we live in London, we understand those things. But here he is asking maybe for the thousandth time, hey, you got any spare change? And we have to understand the culture of this time, too. The man was at the temple for a reason. Because the Jewish, to be generous, was an important part of their culture. God written it into the law to be generous to those people. So there he is asking. And maybe he wasn't looking because his expectations were so low. How many people walked by without giving any spare change? Maybe he was looking onto the next person. Whatever it may be, we don't know, but he was about to be given far more than he could ever hope for. So in verse, verse 4, Peter looks straight at him with this strong and intense look. And as I was looking at that passage, I was thinking of a time when I was uh, younger uh, and, and a, a younger father. And I remember I was playing on my phone. I don't even know what I was doing, but I was on my phone like parents do these days. And my kid was wa- talking to me. And I really wasn't paying attention. I was going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, as I was scrolling. And my child, who will remain nameless, grabs my face and brings my eyes to hers and says, look at me, daddy. It was a very valuable lesson. But when I see that, when I read this passage, that's what I think of. Here's this man who is He's maybe moved on to the next person. He's distracted by whatever. He's not looking at Peter and John. And Peter look, sorry, looks at him with an intense look and says, look at us. When Peter tells this man to look at him, he is telling the beggar to get ready to expect something, to expect more. So in verse 5, the beggar looks at him waiting expecting to receive something, but something else would happen. The apostles made up in their mind that they were going to heal this man. And notice they never even asked the guy. They didn't wait for a request, and that's what makes this unusual. If you are a Christian, look at how the Bible describes you being saved. Look what happens first in your life. What does the Bible say about what happened in your life? Here we see the actions of the apostles showing the sovereign grace of God acting through Jesus Christ to rescue and restore those powerless to save themselves. Because in the reality of this situation is that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is actually very explicit in saying that we were dead in our trespasses. Last time I checked, dead people can't do anything. Have you ever seen a dead person try to give themselves CPR? One hip-hop artist describes us as a dead, bloated body at the bottom of the ocean. And we need to be rescued. And that is done only by Jesus Christ, who stepped down from his throne to pay the price for our sins, so that if we confess that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior, that he rose for, again, three days later, after dying for our sins, we'll have eternal life. We need something first. We needed a new heart that enables us to believe in these truths. We needed our current heart of stone to be replaced with a heart of flesh that enables us to believe 
and you can't do your own heart transplant. I'm sure there's someone who's going to try. But here in this text, we see God's sovereign grace coming through. The man gives the apostle his attention, expecting something, but what he would actually get is beyond what he could ever imagine. Remember, maybe this is you today. Maybe you're a description of someone in great need. And what the gospel tells you and me is that we are both in great need, and we need to, be put, and we need to put all of our hope in Jesus Christ. Are you in great need? Do you find yourself unable to fix the situation that you find yourself in? Do you feel like you're in a prison of sin and guilt that you can't get out of? Then we pray to the one who is sovereignly gracious. Come and release me from this prison, Lord. Lord, let me hear the sound of those chains falling from me as they fall to the ground. Let me see the lights of your shining face, Jesus. Lord, let me walk out of this prison forgiven, healed, restored as a new creation. And that is what is happening to this man. Verse 6, Peter doesn't start his sentence with much hope. Imagine if you were sitting there listening to this man asking for alms. You're looking for money. You're looking for something tangible. You're hungry, you're starving, whatever it may be. You're looking for something to satisfy you right there and then. And Peter comes along and says, I don't have anything. I don't have any gold, I don't have any silver. I don't have anything that you're actually hoping for. Not exactly the statement that I'm sure this man was looking to hear. But sentence structure is important, especially in the Bible. What is said and how it is said is important. Why would Peter say that he had no money to start off? Why wouldn't he ask if the man wanted to be healed? The man thought he needed silver and gold, but what he really needed wasn't those things, was what Peter and John had, which was a hope in Jesus Christ. What that man needed was more than money. He needed Jesus. Ever pray for something you thought you needed and God answers that prayer not in the way you thought? I'm not that old, but it's happened to me a few times. Probably every week. I was actually just talking to our staff about this this past week. I talk to my kids about it all the time. Look, we were praying for this, but God did this. Isn't this so much better? And as Peter says this thing, he says something. I don't have any money. I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver. And then he continues on with this great sentence, in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter's gift to the lame man is Jesus. It is in Jesus' name that Peter takes that man's hand and he lifts him up. This isn't done in Peter's strength at all. If we look at examples of almost similar situations with Jesus, Jesus never says, in my own name, rise up and walk. He just says, rise and walk. Peter only does this through the strength of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' name isn't some sort of incantation, though, but tells of where the healing comes from. Because I think there's a danger sometimes. We can read this text and be like, so pastor, if I pray in Jesus' name, what I say is going to happen, right? 
No, that's not how it works. Praying in Jesus' name means praying with his authority. And that's what Peter's doing here. And asking God the Father to act upon our prayers because we come in the name of his Son, Jesus. Praying in Jesus' name means the same thing as praying according to the will of God. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him. Get that confidence. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The key there is according to his will. And as a side note, you cannot know the will of God unless you know who he is. And you can't know who he is unless you spend time in his word. Asking those questions. What is this teaching me about who God is? So praying in Jesus' name is praying for things that will honor and glorify Jesus. And that's what Peter is doing right here. This brings so much honor and so much glory to Jesus Christ. As we see later, the man begins to jump around praising who? Not Peter, God. Saying in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, or in this case at the beginning, isn't a magic formula. If what we ask for or say in prayer is not for God's glory and according to his will, saying in Jesus' name means nothing. But like Peter, if we are praying in Jesus' name and for his glory is what's important, it doesn't matter what we attach at the end of a prayer. It's not the words in the prayer that matter, but the purpose behind the prayer. Praying for things that are in agreement with God's will is the essence of praying in Jesus' name. And that's what Peter's doing. As he's healing this man, it is the will of God that this man would walk so that he would be glorified. And when Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, he is pointing to the one who, who will heal this man. He is glorifying God and making much of Jesus. And the apostles didn't heal in their own power, but in Jesus's. It's what by the authority that Jesus gives them that they do this. The healing doesn't happen because of the formula, but because Jesus is said to be the source of help and salvation. And Peter is seeking to make much of Jesus at this moment. One commentary put it this way, Christians today cannot simply command healing in the name of Jesus. However, we may confidently point the needy to the risen Lord and pray confidently for them in his name, knowing that he remains gracious and powerful to heal in so doing, it is important to remember the perspective that Peter gives in his sermon on this occasion, that God will not restore everything until Jesus returns and his saving purposes are consummated in a new creation. And that's what we wait for. That's what Revelation is about. So in verse 7, we see something interesting begin to happen. The healing is immediate. At that moment, as Peter reaches out his hand and grabs hold of that man and pulls him up, it is an immediate action. In college, I dislocated my knee. Stupid story. But I did it. And it took me six weeks to just get the brace off. It took months of therapy and physiotherapy to just be able to bend my knee. 
I remember driving to physiotherapy. It shouldn't have been, probably, because it was my gas brake foot, and I couldn't bend my leg, so I had to put the seat back, so I was sitting on the seat doing this. It takes a long time. Even for those of us who have walked in our lives, if we wreck something in our knees in order to walk again. Could this man at any point take any credit for what is about to happen? Was it because of his work that did it? Was it because of him working along with God that made it possible? It was all God from the very beginning to the very end. It was Peter's hand, but he was just an instrument in God's hand as God poured out his divine power. The command to walk came with the power to walk. And all of this is done by the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't command something that he doesn't also give the power to fulfill. And this was an immediate act that showed the immediate need of this man. He didn't need gold. He didn't need silver. More than he needed Jesus. I think on a side note, when we think about mercy projects as a church, when we go out and we seek to relieve the suffering of the poor, which we are called to do. This is what we do. It means that we also can't neglect the most important part, which is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If I just help people out, all I am is a nice person. There's plenty of nice people in this world. In fact, I would say there's a lot more nicer people than even me. But here we have... He doesn't need silver, he doesn't need gold, but he needs Jesus. So Peter and John give the man more than he asked and what he truly needed. And this was an amazing showing of God's sovereign grace before being poured out on him. Here we see the actions of the apostles showing the sovereign grace of God acting through them as they proclaim Jesus Christ, who is able to rescue and restore the powerless who are power, who, the powerless to save themselves. So in verses 8 to 10, there's a waiting with anticipation that begins to happen. And in verse 8, we see that it was an instantaneous, dramatic healing. Because what do we see in the text? The man just doesn't stand. Remember? That's nothing, right? Not for God. He leaps. Not once, but continuously. Jumping up and down, praising God from the top of his lungs. Remember who this man was. He couldn't get to the temple on his own. He had to be carried. He was like this from birth. Your legs wouldn't have muscles. They wouldn't have ligaments. Think about watching a newborn, not a newborn, but a baby trying to learn to walk for the first time. You see the mess that that is? One of my kids looked like they were being beaten in the face all the time because of all the times they fell. But for this man, it was immediate. He got up and he leaped. The power of God. You know what this looks like? The word here for leap is actually a rare word that is found in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Isaiah 35, verse 6. The restoration of creation is beginning and will be finalized when Jesus comes back. There's an anticipation of a universal restoration that will be accomplished with Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ returns. This, isn't, this is something, this is an act that is pointing to something greater. 
The people of God can take hope and solace because God will judge and save. Listen to the words in that passage in Isaiah 35, verses 36. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an ancient heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the deserts. It sounds like a pretty great thing to look for in hope. These promises begin or began to be fulfilled in Jesus' earthly ministry and continued to be fulfilled as the disciples went from Jerusalem and in Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But this is all the foreshadowing of what the Christian hopes for in Christ's return when he will make all things new again. I don't know about you, but I, I pray that probably daily. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And this is why. What is happening to this man is an anticipation of a universal restoration that will be accomplished when Jesus Christ returns. So what was the response of the man? Did he even thank Peter and John? Well, the text doesn't say he did. He praised God for what happened. He doesn't point to Peter or John and say, hey, look what Peter and John just did to me. But he makes much of God. And this is why Peter starts to heal this man with these words in Jesus' name, meaning this isn't about me, this is about Christ. This is about Jesus. In verses 9 to 10, as we get close to the end of this, there's a lot of different reactions that we see. Right? We see wonder, we see awe of what has happened. It's similar to what we see in even in Acts 2, verse 47, as people on the outside of the church were looking in the church, seeing all the things that are happening. And they look at that with awe and wonder and just an amazement. But for the third time, the man is said to be walking. So the people naturally are wondering, how in the world is this happening? I just saw this guy at the beautiful gate asking for alms. I just saw him carried there by his buddies. How is this even possible? But notice that the crowd didn't respond with belief. One can be impressed by the spectacular without responding to what it signifies the power and the grace of God. In all of this, this is all a foreshadow of what the Christian hopes for in return, in Christ's return, when, we will make, when he will make all things new again. What is happening to this man is an anticipation of a universal restoration that will be accomplished when Jesus Christ returns. No longer will I be struggling with what I so easily entangled me. No longer will I have the physical ailments. No longer will there be sickness, tears. And we wait with anticipation of Christ's return. In the following verses in in chapter 3, which we will look at next week, we will see how Peter and John's actions open a door to make much of the one who is able to do all of these things. 
And Peter's sermon will seek to persuade those who are watching this lame man leap and walk and why this was happening and why it is important, but that's for next week. So what, you may ask? So why do you do the good things you do? Why do you help those in need? For Peter and for John, they stopped to help this man not to make, more, to make him more comfortable, but to point him to the Prince of Peace. It wasn't to get fuzzy feelings deep inside. It wasn't to get some sort of badge for scouts or something. It wasn't because they had to or that they felt some sort of duty to do it. They did what they did in the name of Jesus Christ to point this man to the one who, to point this man to his greater need because their actions were a means to spread the message of Jesus Christ with their voices. See, mercy is important. It's ingrained in the Christian because we have experienced the mercy of God by receiving what we did not deserve. For the Christian, we show mercy to point to the merciful one so that that person may know Jesus and him crucified. So why do you do good things? Why do you walk across the street and help your neighbor move something? Why do you help your brother or sister move in this church? Does it just make you feel good? In the book of Acts, we see that that individual actions aren't separate from words. Words and deed come together, and they serve a single purpose of declaring the message of Jesus and making much of him. Why would Peter start with Jesus? Why would Peter start with Jesus' name? Why not just say, rise and walk? Because it's only through Jesus that those who are broken can be restored. And in Christ, we wait with anticipation of how he will make all things new when he returns. Because our actions are a means to spreading the message of Jesus Christ with our voices. If you believe in the lie that always preach the gospel but only use words when necessary, it's a lie. You have to declare the good news of Jesus Christ with your voice. Or write it if you don't have a voice. Remember, Isaiah 35, 36, that Jesus will come. He'll make what is broken whole again. He will reconcile his people to himself. Remember those verses. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the blind, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is the hope we have in Christ. He is coming back. And that's why we see how our actions are to point to the greatness of Christ. Let us decrease and Jesus increase. Because it's only through Jesus that those who are broken can be restored. And in Christ, we wait with anticipation of how he will make all things new when he returns. Because our actions are a means to spread the message of Jesus Christ with our voices. Peter and John didn't go off after glory for themselves. They pointed to the one who actually accomplished the work. 
who is worthy of it all. See, how odd is it in our current culture that puts such a big emphasis on making much of ourselves? I was driving here today and I saw a giant, giant billboard with a politician on it. And I'm like, that's not because you want people to call to ask questions. That's because you want yourself to be known. Politicians hire organizations to make themselves look good in public. We often serve with the hopes we serve in the church with the hopes that someone will see us or, or, or will acknowledge us. We see people bragging with no shame about all that they have achieved. We get upset when we don't get something we want or the way we want it. And all of this still happens in the church with a group of people who should understand that we all have experienced the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And because we've experienced that, our whole heart, our whole desire should be simply to make much of him because he's worthy of it all. So when I hear Peter and John's words to this lame man, they explicitly, without hesitation, with no hopes of making much of themselves, say, this is Jesus and only through him is this able. If the main thought in our heads is around what you and I and whoever else wants and don't want rather than Christ is worthy of, then our actions aren't a means to spread the message of Jesus Christ. You think too much about yourself rather than the mission. The whole point is that we may decrease and Jesus increase. The whole point is to glorify God by being on mission with Jesus, on Jesus's mission to take the message of Jesus to and the church is that means. We can't be concerned with ourselves. So John the Baptist's words in John 3, 30, he must increase, but I must decrease, is a good thing to keep in our minds that would help us to overcome the temptation of wanting to make much of ourselves and to take glory away from the one who alone is worthy of it all. We want to leave this place saying how great is our God. Look at what he has done. Look at what he is doing. And now we can look to the future with hope and we can leave it up to God to lift us up when he thinks it is fitting to do so. Our mission is the great commission to reach and disciple people and this requires all of us to sacrifice and to change and to consider others more significant than ourselves, but we can't do that if Jesus isn't the point. Peter and John couldn't do that if Jesus wasn't the point. Jesus is the point. So why do you do the good things that you do? And I pray that we let our actions be the means to spread the message of Jesus Christ with our voices because he alone is able to heal the broken and to restore the sinners to a holy God. See, every Sunday morning, again, I keep saying this, every Sunday morning we gather, there's a small group of us who gather together to pray. And we gather and we pray and we say pretty much the same thing all the time. Well, at least sometimes. We say, God, may we just make much of you today. May we just fade into the background May we make much of you today. May we just leave this place saying how great is our God. Because he's the point. Because he's the point. 
Let us continue to worship our awesome God. Lord, may we be able, may we be a people that will seek to make much of you in all areas of our lives. May we repent of those times we seek or are seeking our own glory, our own wants, our own preferences. May we rest in your grace knowing you are faithful to forgive. And by your spirit, may we decrease and you increase evermore in this church and in our lives. May our actions this week be used as a means to spread your message of hope to those who are hopeless because you alone are able to heal the broken and restore the sinner. May we leave this place saying, like this man, great are you, Lord.